Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. It's my honor to welcome to the Core Principles Podcast today the pastor of Christ Temple in Paducah, Kentucky, and the founder of Life Community Incorporated, Pastor Anthony Walton. How are you today, Pastor Walton? I'm doing absolutely marvelous, and I'm just grateful and honored to be here. Well, thank you so much for being with me. My first live in-person guest on the Core (laughs) Principles podcast. You've written about uh, some of your experiences and a little autobiographical information. Yes. What I want to do with our listeners is uh, take from the beginnings with you, uh, a little bit of a rough start to this inspirational point that you've uh, gotten to now, and uh, hopefully listeners will be inspired by what they hear today. I'm sure that uh, there are many people who can relate and learn from uh, your experience and have hope and encouragement from God's grace for all of us. Yes, sir. Uh, So growing up in Tennessee, one of the the words you used in your book called Under the Shadow 2, the full story, uh, highly recommended by the way, listeners, to pick up a copy and read that book. It will inspire you. You. Uh, you used a word to describe a lot of how you felt in your childhood, and the word was fear. Mm, yes. Can you uh, help me explain yes. what, what you mean by growing up in fear? Okay. My dad was a hard worker, provided for us, but uh, he was mean. <laughs> That's about the best I can describe it. And I was terrified of him. Uh, he, he had a, a rough kind of uh, voice and his actions, and we were basically beaten a lot. When I say beaten, I mean with uh, switches, with uh, razor straps. I uh, remember um, my brother and I got him beaten with a water hose one time, and they were over small things. It wasn't anything big. We did not know what a pipe wrench was. We called it a monkey wrench, and he called it a pipe wrench. So we was in the back of the truck. I had a thing in my hand. I was I had it in my hand. I'm saying, is this it? So he came to the back of the truck and said, you'll, you'll, you'll know next time. So he pulled us out, got a water hose, and put our head between his legs, and he beat the other part. And we were so messed up to where we couldn't we couldn't hardly walk. And that that was that's just one of the things. He put his head uh, foot on my head a couple of times and and uh, beat us. You know, he was he was a ruthless person. Then on top of that. He killed a man right in front of us across the street when we were small. And so that that scared me. And he would say things like, I, I killed one man, so it won't hurt, won't hurt me to kill somebody else. And I was I was terrified of him. I was the uh, the second, uh, the first son, but the second that was born at a sister older than me. But um, he, I was scared of him. I was so afraid that I stuttered. I went through um, grade school and high school and stuttered. And he would just terrify me. It's a real shame to feel that way, and, and especially when there's no real hope for escape that you're seeing. Uh, no one would want to go through that, and of course, uh, I'm sorry to hear that that was the experience you had. Of course, a couple of words the Bible uses to, to give us encouragement is, but God. Right. He right. changes things. Right. And you wrote also about getting out of you know, when you grew up and you were out on your own, you had some better times. In fact, you had some success in stand-up comedy and uh, entertainment. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that period of your life, what it was like? Yeah, that was kind of um, odd because even with my stuttering, even today, I'm a little bit nervous nervous about being in front of people. So I I had that experience. I did 
a Richard Pryor monologue at, at Tennessee State University one night, and that started everything. I, I knew I could be funny, and um, I, I opened up Nashville for some of the better-known entertainers that came through Nashville. I was the opening act, and it was going really well. And I actually thought that that would be my destiny as a stand-up comic. And then uh, even as times were better for you and you were enjoying some of the success, there was this moment in 1979 when uh, you were with some other folks that maybe some of y'all got some ideas that weren't the most fruitful and uh, you you made a choice on a on a day in 1979 would you would you te- uh, tell us just a little bit about what happened and how things progressed after that happened okay the the, the thing that a lot of people don't know and I try to tell it a lot of times in my bible classes even though I was doing comedy, I had a lot of anger built up, a lot of resentment, a lot of uh, bitterness. And I was doing a, quite a bit of things that um, probably if I had gotten caught, I still would, would have gone to, gone to prison or jail. So these things were hidden. I had a, a daytime personality and a nighttime personality. And at night, I was doing quite a bit of, of robbing and stealing. But this time is the only time that I, that I um, wrote a lot in, in the book about because this is what led me to prison. And the thing about it is uh, I didn't get get caught until about four years later. And I actually went to prison. But by the time I went to prison, the crime had been five years old. And the and the crime was armed robbery? Armed robbery. Yes, for sir. an amount of $13. $13. Yeah. And, and the, the thing about it is that um, I was so messed up that the gun that I always used was loaded. And I had my finger on the trigger at, uh, every time. And if I had sneezed or if they had attacked me some kind of way, the gun could, would have gone off. So it, it could have been a lot worse than it was. God had other plans yes, for you, sir. Sure. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, you confide with readers of your book that after that happened mm-hmm. and during the, the time uh, when there was no consequence and then when the outstanding warrant was finally served just based on a traffic pullover. Yes, sir. All the way through the uh, the legal process, mm-hmm. you maintained your innocence, yes, and uh, even when you were offered a plea bargain, uh, mm-hmm. it was completely something that you rejected. Were you convincing yourself throughout that time that you really hadn't done wrong, or were you merely convincing those around you? Both. Both. I was so um, because my my uh, the career, the success was coming. Then plus I had gotten married. I had gotten so far away from that lifestyle, I, I refused to believe it. And plus, I still wanted everybody else to believe it, especially my wife and my family members, and because they couldn't believe it. And because they couldn't believe it, I refused to believe it. And and even with the plea bargain, had I understood the plea bargaining, I would have taken it and I wouldn't end up here. So God has a specific plan in <laughs> yes, mind sir. for you. Yes, sir. Well, then you were sentenced, and in March of 1984, you were uh, given an order to surrender custody. And even during that time, you still maintained this facade of innocence. Right. But then, uh, this is going to be probably the most difficult question that I'm going to ask, okay. but as much as you're willing to share it, will you take us through that night when you contemplated tying the knot in that bed sheet? Well, it was... When they gave me 12 years, I had just got married. I'd only been married two years. And all I could see was 12. And I said, you know, to me, it was like, I cannot do 12 years because I didn't understand the prison system. So all I'm looking at was 12 years. 
And I was in the cell by myself at the time. And because I was saying, I cannot do this, there's no way I could do 12 years. And the thing about it, one of the reasons was because of my wife. I had fallen in love, man, and I didn't, I didn't want didn't to lose her. So I knew 12 years, she wouldn't be there when I got out. So I, I'm just going to end it. I'm just going to end it all. And I had, had never thought about contemplated suicide ever in my life. Going through all the tragedies at home and things like that, I just wanted, I knew I was going to eventually get out. But this way, being locked up in a, in a cell and being controlled by someone else, and when you can get out, when you can eat, when you can shower, I couldn't handle it. And my way of dealing with it, I got to go. I, got, I just have to leave here. And um, I got that bed sheet and I wrapped it, wrapped it up like a rope and was really about to do it. And I, I, I looked up, up and there was a pipe in my room that, that ran through, I guess, the water, water, water pipe or something. And I saw that it was strong enough to hold me. And I was about to do it. And I heard a, a, a voice um, in my spirit, not audibly, says, you shall live and not die. And that really helped me to, to overcome that the spirit of suicide. Sometime later there, while you were still incarcerated, you had uh, another incident in your cell. Mm-hmm. And this one was truly a turning point. Yes, that, that obviously was a turning point yes, in sir. your physical life. Yes, but now we get to this turning point in your spiritual life mm-hmm. where you describe uh, reaching for your Bible. Yes, and when it hits your lap, it opens up to a passage in Isaiah 59. Yes, sir. And a lot of folks can relate to seeing something in the scripture that they want to claim, but you claimed a passage that most of us would reject really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read these first three verses of Isaiah 59 and ask the podcast audience, consider yourself hearing these words, reading them from the Holy Scripture. Would you have the courage to claim this as a message for you? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, and your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Now, Pastor Walton, when... When I read that, I'm like, I don't want any part of that <laughs> conviction right there. Do not tell me that, God. But you claimed that as a message. Uh, if, if you would just step us through then what happened in your spirit with, with that moment. Okay, I was um, basically been in denial, but I was turning toward God. I was reading the Bible and everything, and I'd gotten baptized in there, and I was trying to receive the Spirit of God. And... I'm trying to still trying to lie through that thing. And I was praying, thinking God didn't know. And when I was praying, I did open the Bible like I always did. And it slipped out of my hand. It just slipped out of my hand right in my lap. And that passage came out. And that, you had spoken lies, your hands, blah, blah, blah. Everything let me know that this is from God. I'm never going to get anywhere until I confess what I've been hiding. And from that point, as difficult as it was, I began to, to share it with my mom, with my dad, with my sisters, and I knew I had to do it with my wife. You know, because she had stuck with me, and I didn't know whether I was going to lose her or not. But I knew I had to get this off me in order for God to come in and help me. In 1987, then, you're released on parole. 
after three years of that 12-year sentence. Would you take us through those next several years between 87 and uh, the late 90s? Uh, what was going on with you during that time? Okay. Uh, if I can go back first yes, uh, to that um, after telling everybody. After I told everybody and everybody was basically okay with me or they were still going to love me and everything, after after I told my wife, which was the most difficult, I went back in my room and opened the Bible again, getting ready to study, and it fell in my lap to Isaiah chapter 60, which is on the other page of 59. I never read it before. It says, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. Whew. Amen. That just like, okay, God's got me now. And after I got out, at first I was supposed to do at least seven years. And the, the prison got overcrowded. So, and they were not letting out any armed robbers, but I felt like God had me. And I was one of the, one of the first armed robbers that they let out, you know, through prayer and everything. And I felt like that was it. So when I got out of prison, uh, at first I, they, I got a job working downtown, which was probably not heard of with suit and tie and everything. So uh, I did that probably for about a few months. And when they get, they gave me parole and I got out in uh, May of 87 and I started working at a grocery store, sacking groceries with the teenagers and with the, with the uh, young people that's in school. But I was so happy to be out. It's like, okay, let me work. And as I worked sell, um, groceries, they end up putting me as a stalker. Then from a stalker, they made me a manager trainee. Then from manager trainee to manager. But here's here's the kicker. Um, as a manager, I was the, uh, they had never hired any black man for a manager. No blacks at all, none. And I didn't ever think that I would be a manager, but I felt like God was with me and he had control over everything. There's another scripture that talks about the, king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it how he will. So I'm saying, even though this man had never had a black man, God's going to deal with his heart. And if it's a position I'm supposed to have, I'm going to get it. So I, I defied a lot of odds, a lot of things that uh, would not have happened had I not been, been saved. And even getting out, <laughs> I didn't have transportation. My wife had a vehicle, so it was very difficult for us to, to travel. And I said, okay, I'm a king's kid. I'm royalty. I'm special. I went to the car lot, not the used car lot. And I, I picked out a truck and said, okay, this is my truck. Went up to the man that was working in the, in the booth. Here's what I told him. I said, I just recently got out of prison. I just recently got a job. I don't have a transportation and I, and I need one really bad. I saw a truck out there that I, that I liked and I like to purchase it. And he looked at me like, about like you looking at me now. <laughs> he looked at me like, yeah, right. And then he, he said, I'll, I'll give you a call uh, later. By the way, podcast audience and Pastor Walton, I'm looking at my brother, Pastor Anthony Walton, with love. And that, that look on my face is about how incredible God's mercy and grace is. It's not about I want to right. And I, but I, I tell people, I tell everybody, oh, look, you looking at me like he looked at me like, yeah, right. But uh, uh, after I, I left and went on to work uh, with my wife's vehicle, uh, well, I, actually, I caught a ride to work and. I, the man called me later and said, come and get your vehicle. Wow. You know, because he said, I I've, I've, I've felt something special about you. Come and get your vehicle. 
So uh, my wife had to go get it because I was at work. And it was five speed. I had never driven a five speed in my life. I didn't know it was five speed. So she jerked and everything finally got there to my job. She parked it crooked because she, she was glad to get it there. So I had to get home with the truck. And it was probably one of the strangest rides I ever had because I'm learning to shift the gears and apply the clutch and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a, a blessing to know that God would do that for me. And this is so uh, instructive to me also, and it's a reminder of something that uh, my own pastor, who I think you know, Kevin mm-hmm. Gauntz, yes. said just this weekend. With God, things go from uh, difficult to impossible mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. done. Right, right. And uh, that, that's really encouraging. Take us up now through this time when you're going to be called into ministry. That's pretty extraordinary. That That's very extraordinary because I, I never thought actually that um, I would be called, I wanted to do prison ministry. But it took me two years after I got out. I believe it was two years after I got out that I, that I, I didn't even want to go to a prison. I didn't want to go back to ministry, even though I felt like God was calling me to that. Uh-uh, I don't want to go back inside a prison to do anything. And I remember the first time I went in just to minister. When they closed and locked that door, I shivered like a scared puppy. I shivered like, okay, I can't do this. But something just came over and said, okay, but you can walk out. It's like, okay. Then I, I was, so I was going back and forth to prisons, ministering and telling people my, my story and letting them know that there was hope. And I, but I never th- really thought it was ministry. I thought it was basically giving me, my, giving me a, a testimony to give. But then I felt the call for ministry. This is what you got to do. This is not going to be the end of what you're doing. You're going to do things to help more people. And I told my pastor, I said, I believe I'm called to the ministry. He said, okay. I only think he said, okay. But for four years, he didn't say a word. After four years, he, he announced to the, to the congregation, um, I believe Brother Walton, uh, he believes he's, he's called to the ministry. I'm thinking, oh, I thought you forgot. And the way, he, the way he told me later is that, no, I had to make sure you knew that you were serious. So, but, so that, that what helped me to know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And in 98, he saw that, uh, that what, what is the annex now? Saw that little building right here, right across the street from the club. And at the time, the projects were, were, were up. And he thought it would be a perfect idea to um, have a church right here. So he, he, he started the church out and he started coming back and forth and he couldn't do it. And so another brother came up and he stayed about six months. He just quit, just quit. And I told the pastor, I said, okay, here's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so funny. We were painting the building in there just to get it prepared. This was before the, the other pastor came. And here's what I said. I was rolling the wall back there, you know, paint rolling. Yes, sir. Here's what I said. What idiot is going to drive all the way from Nashville to start a church from the ground up? That's what I said to myself. This is the craziest thing that I've ever heard of. So I ended up being an idiot, but I came as a favor to my pastor just because, just to kind of keep him from doing it. For two years, I just came back and forth, never intended to be a pastor, but I came back and forth and we have maybe a few people and every now and then nobody, but it was always somebody after that. And in 2000, actually, well, 
Yeah, maybe at the beginning of 2000. I'm still working, trust me, you know, believe me. I'm still working at, at, the, at the grocery store as a manager. I was trying to get off and get my assistant managers prepared, you know, for me leaving on Sundays and stuff and going up here. And, but I knew, I knew that God had told me that I need to pastor, but I was rejecting it. Here, and here's what I kept saying. I know, Lord, but how are we going to make it? Basically, I'm talking about finances. That's like, how are we going to make it? I know what you're saying. This is my conversation with God. I know what you're saying, but how are we going to make it? And and I kept saying that, how are we going to make it? And I remember walking toward the work, to uh, my job, and I looked down. There was a wrinkled up $1 bill in the ground. And here's what I heard my spirit say. Just like that, I'll make a way. As always, so many examples. People talk about it's impossible. But God specializes in impossible. Yes, that's his thing. And and from then on, I, I called my wife. I said, okay, I'm going to accept this for a time. And I think her, her statement was like, okay, I was wondering what took you so long. So it was like she already knew. But I, I was too terrified to do it because I could not see any further than my nose, I guess you want to call it. I could not see. I was I was wanting to see something so that I could I would relax and get into it with all the money that I needed, not 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 losing anything, but that's not how it starts. It starts by faith. Yes, sir. And that stepping out in faith pretty much requires that we don't know what's about to happen. Exactly. exactly. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. It wouldn't be faith. <laughs> well, so it's so encouraging, and I'm thankful that you shared this with us. So I want to ask you as we're wrapping up uh, to talk a little bit about the life community and this ministry that you uh, do. Life stands for love is for everyone. Yes, sir. Right? So, uh, what would you like folks to know about Life Community? Okay, Life Community basically is a, is a separate program than than the church. It has its own 501c3. Uh, it has everything alone by, by itself. So it's separate from the church. And I feel like people, if I had something like that, people would be more apt to come instead of coming to a church. And what it does, it... Um, has, it gives most hope to ex-offenders and everybody with any life-controlling issue. They come and they we, we have housing for, for ex-offenders and we teach classes for ex-offenders. We teach um, the Lifesaver class basically is the, the main class that I feel like people can actually get help from. Drugs, alcohol, uh, hatred, bitterness, um, unforgiveness, all these things that people have. And so they come to the class, I got... Uh, lessons, about eight lessons in that that people go through. And all of those classes um, are me. It's, that's how I became um, a better person. I just used a, all those classes. You got to acknowledge that. You can, then you got to want to uh, get get rid of it. Then you got to start forgiving folks. got to forgive yourself and all these kind of things to discover your identity. So all these things uh, are basically reflected me. So we do things for men. We have classes for marriage. We have classes for women. And we try to get people to know themselves and to know God. And so it's basically probably one of the, the best things I feel like that I could do to give back to the public. That kind of encouragement that you give to folks in difficult situations mm-hmm. and you can step them through and they believe that there's truth in what you're saying because here you are yes, sir. witnessing this happened to me. Yes, sir. There's a lot of us folks out here, and I'm not really counting myself because I'm not fearing what's going on right now. God's in control. But yes, there's a lot of fear in the world right yes, now. Sir. And yes, so sir. the last question I wanted to ask you, Pastor Walton, is just uh, what would be your message to folks who right now are feeling overwhelmed with fear? Well, of course, um, fear is not of God. 
So he's not he's not the author of fear, according to the Bible. So which means then that the, the devil sows fear. He he puts the fear in the hearts of people, and fear means that they can't see anything other than what's happening right now. So what I tell people, nothing wrong with being cautious. You got to be cautious, but when you're scared, you are basically um, afraid to even come out of your house. You're afraid to have friends. You're what? So fear is uh, basically uh, paralyzes people. And so what I tell people, trust in God. Easier said than done, but it's doable. And most of the time what I tell people, how did you get to where you are right now? You didn't get there on, on your own. You had some ups, you had some downs. You, you learned that this too shall pass. So you got to put all those things uh, into action right now. Even though it seemed like it's out of control, nothing is too hard for God. And you can, you can make it through this. It's, it's, it's not being in it. You got to see yourself making it through it. So, so that's, that's my, my answer to hope. Well, thank you so much. Pastor Anthony Walton, uh, I really am honored that you spent this time with me. And uh, thank you again. God bless you. And thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm honored. God bless you. Now it's time for our special historical segment, featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied. On the fourth day of August 1964, the bodies of three civil rights activists, all of them in their 20s, were found in Mississippi. They had been shot and their vehicle had been burned on the 21st of June. Just prior to that, the three young men had set out on a 50-mile trip to Longdale, where the Mount Zion Methodist Church had been burned. The three knew they were potentially in danger because they left word before their journey that if they hadn't called in by a certain time, the Federal Bureau of Investigation should search for them. Two days after they went missing, the FBI did find the charred remains of their station wagon. But the three bodies were not found for 40 more days. And it was three years later that 18 suspects were finally put on trial. Seven of the 18 suspects were convicted, but two others among the 18 suspects were acquitted at that time. One of those was Edgar Ray Killen. In January of 2005, more than 40 years after the murders, Edgar Ray Killen was arrested for participating in the crime and was convicted on three counts of manslaughter. The principle is that while justice may be slow sometimes, true justice is ultimately inescapable. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.